I'm excited for the congregation and for the teenagers in particular. I asked Rodney when he before he came up here, I said, take your time, explain it very well. I've adjusted my sermon to be 10 minutes shorter, so take, take your time. That way, instead of preaching 50 minutes, I'll preach 40, but whatever. Um, but, you know, I don't know if you realize the amount of work and planning and preparation and prayer that goes into something like this. Uh, I am excited for the teenagers. I'm excited for Rodney and other people coming into the city. Uh, something will happen when we view our city as a mission field. And that's really what is happening here. Our teenagers here and the adults that are involved are uh, looking, walking out the door and thinking, this is our mission field. And I was thinking of each of these different things. Let's see if I get it right. That service over there, guidance, glorifying God, or worship or something. I can't remember exactly what he said there. And teaching. And, you know, putting those all together and, and actually putting it into practice. You know, we get a lot, of, we get excited when we go to Guyana. Those who go to Guyana or El Salvador or American Samoa or Fiji or something like that. Well, this is a mission field right here. And I'm excited for us. Participate if you can. Uh, each evening, I know you can't do everything, but each evening there is going to be a speaker. Uh, if you can come out to that and, and, and encourage um, our, uh, the, the teams that are here, uh, do that. I, I'm planning on uh, coming a couple of times myself and listening to, to the speakers. And so I'm excited for you, uh, praying for you, and I just want us to all um, uh, participate in that as much as possible. That's going to be great. Uh, John, if you've been with us, has been sharing a great amount of good news. I mean, this is, uh, as I've studied this book and gone into it deeper than I've ever gone, gone into it before, it's, it's overwhelming the good news that John is presenting here. It's such good news, as I've stated, as I shared with you, that you will have a tendency to doubt it. You'll have a tendency to think I'm, I'm um, over-exaggerating what is being said here. And, I, and I'm not doing that. It is great news. John began this book by stating that he, he had personal contact, even friendship, with the God of the universe. And that thought in and of itself is overwhelming, that John himself was saying, this Jesus was the God of the universe. And you can tie it into the, the um, Gospel of John, where he is claiming a personal friendship and relationship with God. And then he goes in to say, I have a message to share. And you have the same message to share, that God is light. And we examine what that meant. And we'll continue to see what this, this message is of God is light. We began to see and we'll continue to see all through this book that this message is a God-centered message. You're going to hear that over and over. This message is a God-centered message. We're included, of course. We have to be included in this message. But the emphasis is on God, who He is, and what He has done, and what He continues to do for us. It is God, through His Son, Jesus, who reached out to us, reached to, out to us in fellowship, and cleanses us and continues to cleanse our sins. Verses 6 through 10 of chapter 1. 
It's Jesus, as we saw last week, who declares that we are innocent. It's amazing. He is our advocate, face to face with God. And he declares our innocence, not based on our lives, not based on what we have done, but based on his life and his sacrificial death, we are innocent. It is God who propitiates himself. We looked at that big word last week. And if you weren't here, just, just go over it. But he, he, is, he is the one who satisfies his own wrath in our behalf. He makes all things that are wrong right. He's going to make everything, every hurt and every pain. Um, Larry's up here shedding tears over his grandmother. God is going to fix that one day completely. I don't know how. I don't know any details on that. I just have the faith because that's what the scripture says, that this world is going to be fixed one day the way he wants it to be fixed. Everything broken will be fixed. Everything wrong will be made right. He begins in our spirit. He redeems us. He forgives us. And then he promises one day the entire universe will be redeemed. All this leads us to joy. I don't, I don't see how you can sit there as a Christian and not be filled with joy over all these promises God gives us. And it helps us not to sin. Two of the purposes of first John. And so we come to this point in chapter two, verse three, where he begins some very practical applications in our lives. Okay, and this is this is what you do with all that is what he is saying. When we begin to think about all those things, we ask this this question, how can I know this? How can I really know what you're saying is true? I hear you, John. It sounds wonderful. It sounds amazing. But getting down into that nitty-gritty daily living, practical daily living, how can I know this? How can I know it? To say my sins are being continually cleansed, that's one thing. I have to accept that by faith. I can't see it. I can't see my sins being washed away. But is there some way I can know, really know that that's taking place? To tell me that I have a loving Savior who is face to face with God, declaring my innocence is almost too wonderful to grasp. I believe it. But is there any way in this body of sin, in the struggles of my life, in the, way, the things that I think and the things that I do that I wish I didn't do, is there any way that I can feel it? It's almost a bad word to some people. <laughs> including me, all right? Is there any way I can feel, to know this and feel it, that this is true? And at this point, we have to be really careful. We have to be careful not to slide back into a me-focused gospel. That's our tendency. That's where we, all, we, we, we don't even notice we do it. We tend to slide right back into a me-focused gospel. He's going to tell us, John's going to tell us some things that we are to do. And he's going to tell us some things that we don't do. And then John is going to refocus us back into it being the God-centered gospel. And that's in verse 11 onward. And then he's going to come back and tell us some more things that we do and some more things we don't do. And then he's going to come back and he's going to refocus us again. Because every time we hear these things, oh, I do this and I don't do this, 
It's so easy. With, in a second, I mean, it happens so quickly that we become me-focused in my gospel. Oh, this is what I do with the emphasis on me instead of God. So he's going to continually come back, focus us again and again. John doesn't want us to forget that the center and focus of your forgiveness and your life is not on your greatness and what you do and what you don't do. It's on Christ's greatness and what he does and what he didn't do. That's where our focus is. Let's read verses 3 through 6 of 1 John chapter 2. He says, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. I know the title's kind of cute. Two knows to know. Kind of a play on words, but it's the best I could do. And we're going to look on in here how I know that I know him. And we're going to look at these two knows. K-N-O-W. It's a favorite word of John. I think it is the favorite word of John in this, in this letter. He uses it 37 times. And this is the first time, 37 that I counted anyway, this is the first time that he uses it in this letter. And even though I say you may have counted yourself and said, I didn't count 37 times, you know, I only counted whatever, you know, how many times. Because there's two words that John uses that we translate no. Now, you, most of you know that John did not write this in English. And so he wrote it in the Greek language. And as he's writing it, he uses the word that we translate, no. One is used 22 times. The other one's used 15 times. The first time the second word that we're just going to mention is used is in chapter 2, verse 11. We'll get to that later. That particular no that we're going to look at later, that we're going to know later, all right, means knowledge by information. It means you know something because you saw it with your own eyes. It, it could be book knowledge. It means I know about something. That's not the word we're going to look at today. All through this book, even from the very beginning, I believe the emphasis is on knowing. Knowing something. From the very first, from the concept from the very first, he says, I want to tell you about what I heard and what I saw what I know is what he's saying. And he says, you can know this too. And so he emphasizes knowledge. Even when we get to uh, verse 4 of chapter 1 where he says, um, I write this so that you will have joy. Your joy will be filled to the full. And if you remember, my, my definition of joy is knowing a good thing when you see it. Joy is not happiness. In the midst of the world around us, what Larry said he expressed joy, even though he didn't use that word joy. He knows something is going to be better. He knows God is going to, in the midst of a broken foot and, and burying his grandmother, he knows something. That's joy. All right? He knows the Lord. And so he expressed joy in the midst of tears. You can have joy in the midst of tears. So Christians, John says, they know something. The concept of assurance is tied up in, in this uh, word knowledge. Uh, 5 verse 13, that's our third reason that John wrote his book. Do you remember what he said? I write this so that you will what? Yeah, all together. Know that you have 
eternal life. And so he writes in retrospect, he's looking back over his book and said, all these things I wrote so that you will know that you have eternal life. We know this from the beginning of our Christian walk. Chapter 2, verse 13, he says, you have known this from the beginning. Our faith is confirmed by knowing in this in verse three here. Our, we know this with something that we know. And all these words, we could, we could do a word study and spend two or three lessons on this word, know. The word that we're looking at today comes from a, it's tied to our English language. You'll, when I say the word, you'll, you'll hear the word know. Gnostic. Uh, gnosko, is, gnosko is the word. To know. And it's actually rooted in our, our very word that we use in the English language, know. It's a knowledge, this know, as we read it, it's a knowledge that comes by experience. It's a knowledge that's beyond book knowledge. It's beyond classroom teaching. It's beyond preaching. It's a knowledge you know through experience. It's complete knowledge. It's not an opinion. It's not inadequate knowledge. It's not partial knowledge. It's a grasp of the full reality of what or who is being contemplated. I describe it this way. It's the light bulb coming on and burning bright. It's something you, you understood it because there was an experience in, in that understanding and that light is on. You, you're understanding it. The example is the difference between the book knowledge, reading a book and learning something, and then actually going out there and doing something. You, you all can relate to this. You've all done this where you've Known something because someone told you, but then when you did it, it made a difference. I want to tell you a story. You can flip on. I see this, what's it called, GIF file or whatever, TIF? Boom. All right. We'll let that run. I'll have to tell you the story. I was with a friend of mine, and this is not my friend, but it was with a friend of mine who um, wanted to learn how to play golf. He was a smart guy. He, he had a lot of book knowledge on golf. I started golfing when I was in high school. I'm not a good golfer. I'm kind of a once-a-year golfer. I'm okay. You know, I, can, I, I kind of know something about it. But he wanted to learn. He wanted to take up golf, so we, he, he asked if I'd go with him, and I did. And he was telling me everything about everything. He'd gotten a book. He had read about every club. He told me about every club and the stance and what you do and how you hit it and everything like that. We got to a point where there was water and the green, and so I hit my ball and just, it just landed three feet from the pin. You know, lucky. But that's where I was aiming. He hits right before the water, and so he gets out there and he's telling me the proper club to use in order to hit over the water. And I went to the green, and I'm waiting for him. And he hits the ball, and just as that's showing you, right in the water. And I said, oh, I don't want to tell you his name. You, you can... You can come on down and just put, no, 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 this is how you do it. And he drops another ball and hits that in the water. And a third time, and a fourth time. And I was like, come on, just come on down here and just chip it on the green for me. No, no, got to do it right. He goes back to his bag, pulls out some more balls. I'm not kidding, ten balls, at least ten balls in the water. And I'm sitting there, I'm trying not to laugh, but after, you know, after a while, it's like, you deserve being laughed at at this point. He knew what to do up in his brain. 
But he did not know in experience. Well, he gained some experience is what he did. He learned, I guess, from that experience. And that's the difference here. There's a mind knowledge that we know. Okay, we read the book and we know. But there's an experience knowledge that goes beyond that. And you know how that works. You've done it. You can use your own illustrations where you learn something by doing more than just being uh, by being told. It doesn't mean you know everything. All right, when we come to this, it doesn't mean you know everything. It's a growing knowledge. Now, I said previous is a full knowledge. It's a complete knowledge. You're grasping full reality, and you know you're grasping full reality, even though you don't know everything about it. It's kind of like grabbing the bulls of a horn, or the horns of bull. <laughs> when you do that, you you're grasping full reality, and you know it, but you don't know everything that's going to happen there. But you're hanging on, and it's kind of like that. This is the knowledge that you're grasping it. You know it. It's full reality, but there's a learning process going on at the same time. It's not perfect knowledge. It's a process of maturity. Paul, I think, refers to this concept in 1 Corinthians 13 where he says, We know in part, we're understanding, one day we'll know fully. So he, he grasps the reality, but there's a growing knowledge that is tied into that. This whole letter is tied into this knowledge, knowing. And as I said in chapter 5, he looks back and says, You know, I wrote all this so that you will know. You'll have full knowledge of this. But we are people too uncertain, yet desiring to be certain. Because we're so uncertain about so many things, we struggle with certainty. And you may even object, not to me, but to John here, when he's so confident and certain of this knowledge. He says, you know you have eternal life. And we struggle with that. We're, we, we just, how can I possibly know that? How can I really know it? And I think at this point our humility breaks in, and I'm, I'm both true humility and false humility breaks in at this point, where we say, how can I presume to know God? I mean, God who is entirely holy, completely holy, he's far above anything I can think of. What right do I have to say my sins are forgiven? What right do I have to say I know I have eternal life? It seems, it seems arrogant for me to do that. And yet the Bible, the New Testament is filled, and this letter is filled with saying, yes, not you can know, but yes, you know. I know whom I believe, uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 John chapter 3, let me just point out something very quickly. Chapter 3, verse 2, but we know that when he appears... Verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away sins. Verse 10, and I'm just pulling out a few of them. This is how we know who are children of God. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth. And I could keep going. He says, we know. These are some things that we absolutely know. And he, said, and he includes you, Christians. We know this. 
So there's two things you do know. I'm going to share them with you, just remind you of them. You know them. Two things you know from these verses right here. These things you know if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you may not know this. You may be beginning to know it. But if you're a Christian, I want to share with you two things that John says in these verses that you know. Number one, you know the Lord Jesus. You know him. You started by knowing some things about him. You learned about his birth. You learned circumstances around it. You learned some things that he said and they did. You learned about the cross. You learned about the resurrection. It was Bible school knowledge. That's good. That's necessary. You need that knowledge. You need the information. But then something happened. I started thinking about this myself. I said, what happened? And I doubt if you can pinpoint the time, because I can't. You can't pinpoint the date. But there was a time that you began to know him as a real person. You can't say when it was, but you knew that he was a real person. It wasn't just stories anymore. It wasn't just Bible stories. It was reality. At first, he was real maybe in the past, in history and history books. But then he became real in the present. It's to the point that you believed that he offered you forgiveness and an abundant life and eternal life. And you obeyed him. You were baptized into him. The, the scripture, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. was real to you. You obeyed him. You know the Lord Jesus. And number two, you know that you are in him. That baptism brought you into Christ. All of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, Galatians 3. You know that. And then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 here, he says, uh, If we live in him, whoever claims to live in him is better translated, whoever abides in him. Brings us right back to John chapter 15, that same word there. How we abide in him as a branch abides in the vine. We are in him. It's a reality. And this is where I think the beauty of baptism is. I, can't, I can just explain it mentally, psychologically, not biblically on this point. But the beauty of baptism, and you know this from your own experience, is in those times of doubt, in those times of sin, as you struggle with sin, that memory of you going into that water and coming out of it, and that memory of being washed clean comes back to you and you can say, I know whom I have believed. I know he took my sins away. I know this. Even in the midst of my doubts right now, my struggling, I remember that moment in my time when he took it all away. It was a physical action that God joined you, said he joined you into a vital, real, real saving relationship with him. And at that point, the, the scripture in, uh, that I have on the screen here is uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 11. The prophecy of Jeremiah coming fulfilled. He says, no longer will a, will a man teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord. You see, in the Old Testament, as people were physically born into and the, the Israelite nation, they had to be taught to know the Lord before they really understood. Even though they were in the nation, they had to be taught about him. 
No longer do we do that because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. You were taught before you came into the kingdom. You were taught how to know the Lord. And when you came into that vital relationship with him, that living relationship with him, you knew the Lord from the least to the greatest. The youngest Christian here, who was that last week, was baptized, someone, week, ten days ago, something. The least, the youngest in this audience that was baptized about a week ago, knows the Lord. To the greatest who have been, who's been here 60 years or more, you know the Lord. We all know the Lord. Now, when we know the Lord, we go to two extremes. I want to go through this. All right, let's see here. We, do, we go to two extremes. Number one, we emphasize our mind. And I, I want to talk about the two extremes that we go to, and we, we need to find a balance, and the Scripture is going to give us the balance. You go back to philosophy, all the way back as far as you can go in written time, people are trying to find out what is life all about. Aristotle, all these people, what is life all about? And they reason it out, they think it out, they go through a logical way of, of trying to determine what, is, what life is all about. And we can do the same thing with the Scriptures, with, with God's Word itself. We can become so clinical, so logical, so cold in our thinking, we can fill up, well, you were trying to please the Lord, and so we give ourselves a bunch of rules and regulations, and we build hedges to protect us from what God says not to do, and we build a hedge around the hedge. I mean, it really happens. We think in our mind how, what we need to do and what we don't need to do, and then as we discuss it, what do we do? And this is all of Christendom. We divide, don't we? We say, well, I believe this is what God wants us to do, and you don't believe it, so you go your way and I go my way. And when you go your way, I say, well, look at those Pharisees. Look at those old Pharisees, without realizing what a Pharisee I am, in my rules and my regulations, trying to do what is right. There's no joy in that kind of living. There's a great deal of fear. There's always the questioning of my salvation. And that's not what I read in the Bible. That's not what I read in, in 1 John. So we go to the other extreme. An emphasis on emotions. We look for the experiences. We're, we're saying, if this is real, I need to feel it. I Surely I will feel something if this is real. And so... We try and seek that experience. We look for a feeling. It could happen in prayer. A good church gathering together where you have a really good preacher. You can get that feeling. You go to another country. And you, you know, do some kind of... You, you, those of you who have gone, when they come back, they're all excited. All right, why? What was different there? It was another country. You, you get another, this feeling. could be out in nature, taking a walk. We call it a mountaintop experience. Actually, can, you go up there and you get a feeling. You're close to God. Have you ever seen that sunset on top of a mountain or on an ocean? You get a feeling. And there's nothing wrong with that. John warns us later, though. He says, now listen, test the spirits. We'll get, we'll get there later. Not all is of God. There's such a thing as a counterfeit Christianity. He calls it the Antichrist. Not everything is of Christ. Peter says, Satan is an angel of light. 
He looks good. He sounds good. He feels good. And he's wrong. It's all wrong. So when we swing to the emotional side, we're looking for confirmation. I just need to know. We jump from one experience to the next. It's not saying experiences are bad. They're not. But you have to be careful with them. Test them. And don't judge others when they don't have the same feeling you had. When they don't have the same experience you had. And that often happens. You see, I experienced something and you didn't. And so I'm more spiritual than you. And what happens with with that is we begin to pull away, just like in our minds, we pull away as we argue the scriptures and we go our different directions. Because I had my experience that you didn't have, I pull away from you. I'm going, I'm doing the same thing that, that other people did when they're using just their mind. If you pull away from someone because they are not experiencing the same things you experience, it's probably an indication that your experience wasn't genuine. Because later on, John's going to say, you know, the experience that you have in Christ, it draws you to some other people. It's amazing. The experience you have in Christ will pull you to other people even when you disagree with them. Even when they don't experience the same thing you experience. Even when you don't like them. It's going to pull you to A true spiritual experience will pull you together. The spiritual is how you conduct your life. It's not how you conduct a miracle or a Bible study. Spiritual is gentleness with your spouse. Not having a spirit-filled moment. Not even having a regular quiet time where you're studying your Bible. Spiritual is obeying God's commandments. Not receiving visions. Not even being asked to teach a class. You can delve into the mystical. You can experience all sorts of wonderful things. You can learn Hebrew and Greek. You can know the meaning of obscure scriptures. But if you're impatient, if you're angry, if you're self-centered, if you're joyless, if you're cranky, If you're frustrated, if you're bickering, if you're envious, if you're bar hopping, if you're women hopping, men hopping, surfing the internet in the blackest areas, John says you will not know that you know him. There are two ways these verses tell us that you will know that you know him. We'll talk about that next week. We'll even talk about what that means. Know that you know him. But there's two ways that you know that you, that you know that you know him. And I'm going to share them really quickly with you, just as a teaser for next week. Number one, obey his commands. When you learn what that means, obey his commands, you will know that you know him. Now, some of you mental thinkers, your cerebral thinkers, you all just went to the making a bunch of laws. You just did it. All right? Next week, you're going to find out what he means by keeping his commands. And the second one is correct walking. You've got to be walking right. I'm going to teach you how to walk next week. Actually, you know how to walk. But we're going to look at what he means by walking. 
And that's all I'm going to say on those two. But next week we're going to look at, at how we can know that we know him. And it has to be, it's tied in. Read verses 3 through 6. In fact, read chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 6. It'll be good for you. Chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, verse 6. And get that whole context and we'll be looking at that. A lot of us as Christians question ourselves. I just don't, I just don't know. I'm here to tell you, you do know. You just need to be reminded. You forget so easily. And so we're going to use the, as we go through John, we're going to be reminded over and over and over again what you know. And it's going to encourage you. It's going to give you great joy. Right? It's going to help you not to, thank you, sin. (laughs) And you're going to know that you have eternal life. If you're outside that relationship, if you've never come to God in faith, you haven't turned from your way of living to his way of living, been immersed in that water, that grave of water, so that your sins can be washed away. You don't. You probably don't really know what I'm talking about. But I, I guarantee you do that and you will know that you know. If we can help anyone in any way, we have some elders that are here. They'll be up front to receive you as we stand and as we sing.